James chapter 1, no, excuse me, chapter 2. I get this text message from Sean this week. He texts me every once in a while and yells at me and gets real aggressive. And uh, he texts me and he said, hey, I need to know what you're preaching on Saturday night and Sunday morning so we can tailor the, tailor the, uh, the music. <clears throat> and I said, <coughs> excuse me, I said, uh, sure. But before I actually got to respond and say sure and texting back, uh, our kids are getting to the age where they, uh, they feel like if a phone is laying down and it, it buzzes or rings, obviously they pick it up and even respond. That's obviously the natural thing to do with a phone that's not yours. And so he, he comes in the other room, <clears throat> and he goes, he goes, Dad, this is hysterical. He goes, Dad, it's Sean. And I was like, what? And she go, he goes, he wants to know what you're preaching on Sunday. And I said, yeah. He goes, he doesn't know it's going to be about Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, apparently not. <laughs> okay. And so, and it really got me thinking, because actually, because it was funny, because I text back Jesus, and we do that every time, and Sean gets annoyed and texts me back and says, what about Jesus? And that's, that's really important, because we get used to these churchy kind of answers, you know? And it's so easy, especially around our group, because the emphasis is on, literally, the, literally, the emphasis is on a person, okay? What it means to be a Christian is a direct involvement abiding in, filled with, living in the perspective of a person. His name's Jesus. It's learning to hear him. I'm, we're, we're, I don't know if the word is coaching, but my daughter is really pressing me on this kind of stuff. She'll say, well, how do you hear? We talked about this the other night. How do you, how do you hear him? You know? And it's easy to come up with these terms. Oh, yeah, we focus on Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. But do you really know what that means? See, how is Jesus integrated into your life? See, what does it mean, mean that I, I live, live with him? That I'm, that I'm dwelling, I'm abiding in him. See, what does, that, what does that mean? By the way, every Wednesday night, we would, I would love for you to be a part of this. I mean, really, love for you to be a part of this. We, we gather together on Wednesday night, and we meet into, into individual groups, and they're going to meet together for one month. In other words, every time you come on Wednesday night, that's your group for one month. And then we're going to switch it up because we know, obviously, you're going to get annoyed with each other. So we will switch that around. That's not true. We're going to switch you around, and then you're going to be for maybe another month. And we'd like to get to the point where you're three months. There's some value of being in one group for a period of time. And you take that message on Sunday that was preached from whoever fills this pulpit on that Sunday morning, and you have small group questions, which what guides you through, walk you through the process of what does that mean for you personally? How are you digesting this into your life personally? That'd be kind of neat to be a part of, wouldn't it? Think so? Who's not going to come on Wednesday? Is that okay? Okay, just two of you. Whatever. Shane, put your hand down. You too. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still getting over a cold. So anyway, that's what we're doing, and it's, 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 it's intentional. We're not just trying to figure out more things to do. We're trying to say is how does this message beyond just the cliche kind of, you know, things we learn to say at church on Sunday, how do these things actually, how, do this, how does this truth actually penetrate and change the way, not just the way that I live, but change the very character of who I am? That's what Christianity is. Christianity is not forming my actions it's forming who I am. And when you are formed and transformed by the person, you're obviously going to do different things. 
So the differences that, you know, the differences of a lifestyle, the change in lifestyle is a direct result of I am different. I have been transformed from an apple tree into a peach tree. And if you want to know why I'm not producing apples anymore, it's not just because, well, that's not appropriate for peach trees. It's I'm a peach tree, man. That I'm, something's different that's going on inside of me. And it's really difficult to get that in one text message to Sean, but he expects it. So I get this text message from him, Jesus cliche answer, <clears throat> and, and it has to be, un, 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 you know, kind of unfolded. When you come into James chapter 1, and it's been a couple months since you've uh, heard James. Last time I was here, we looked at something that I'm looking with. If you want to be in prayer for me, uh, and I don't normally specifically ask for this kind of a thing, although you can always be praying for us and Stephen as we're on the road. <coughs> but this Thursday, I have a tremendous opportunity speaking at Olivet and uh, just, you know, 2,500 teenagers and just a tremendous opportunity. And uh, so I preached out of Matthew 25 here a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and that's what I'll be sharing there. So that was the last time I was here, Matthew. But the time before that, we finished up the first chapter of James. And uh, the first chapter of James, I want to give you just a quick review because it's very important, uh, the first chapter, uh, as you move into the second third, fourth, and fifth chapter of James. Uh, obviously, there's a, there's, a, there's a building process, and James is going somewhere. He's just not writing haphazardly, as we do in our emails. He has intention, anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's purpose, and he's going somewhere. <clears throat> when you come into the first chapter of James, the very first verse, we've given that its own little kind of section and title, and we're calling that the people of God because James introduces himself, the recipients, and then he gives this, he gives this statement um, that gives us insight into his kind of perspective of the body of Christ, okay? And it's, it's servant language. Now, we're all children of God, but how you identify a child of God is that they're a servant, okay? You're not servants, but you have the nature of a servant. That's how you identify a child of God. That's how you know a Christian. They're just pouring their life out. How can I be involved? There's no such thing as a self-centered Christian. Okay, so he covers that in verse 1. When you get into verses 2 through 18, you get into the next se uh, section. Uh, so you have the people of God, verse 1. Verses 2 through 18 is the perfect message. And this is where James takes the simple cliches of we're about Jesus, and he kind of unfolds that. And he says, this is what that looks like. And I want to give that to you really quickly, uh, and just to remind you, <clears throat> when you, uh, uh, well, maybe we'll get to that in a few minutes. We'll come back and get to that in a few minutes. Verses 2 through 18 is the message. Verses uh, 19 through the end of the chapter is called the purity of the word. And that's how that message is articulated into our life. Okay? That's how the message is articulated into our life. In other words, the message of the gospel is that we belong to him. We're his. It's his plan. I mean, it's, he's very detailed in that. And how does that begin to happen? How does, how does communication, how do we hear him? How does he reveal himself? How are we changed? Verses 19 through 21, for example, in verse 21, listen to what he says about the role of the scriptures in your life. Verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. See, there's, there's a dynamic, and if you could wrap your mind around this, and it's still, you have to think about it at times, but when you come here and listen to the message of the gospel, it's changing you, 
whether you receive it or not. I mean, we, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've probably heard at least some preacher along the way say that God's word does not return void. It just, it just does not. You know, when you have an encounter with God, you never, ever, ever get over that. He speaks to you. It invokes, it demands change from you. But as a believer, when we, when we receive that word and say, yes, it, it gets planted. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, one of the Old Testament passages I often refer to is where Jeremiah the prophet is writing. And he says that God is speaking to him. And he tells Jeremiah, he says, the day is coming when I'm going to take this, this scripture off of stone tablets. And I'm going I'm to write it on the inside of your heart. I'm going to put it here. I'm going to put it here. And you're not just going to do different things. It's going to change you. I'm going to implant that in you. It's going, to, it's going to reform your entire life. You are going to be different, not that you're just going to do different things. So James' approach, and again, this is just his approach, verses 2 through 18 is the message. Verses 19 through the end of the chapter is the articulation of that message. And I've not really emphasized this in the past, but verses 26 and 27 is a transitional couple verses. It's still about the word changing you, but he makes a distinction that he'll actually uh, build on, and I'm already entering some of this in chapter 3 with the tongue because verses 26 and 27 is just a small precursor to what he'll get into chapter 3 but the reason he puts it and I struggled with this for a time why would he even bring this up now but it's a contrast between your word and his word okay a contrast between your word and his word there's a taming of the tongue that's necessary in the life of a believer which means if it's not his word you know what that means, right? If it's not his word coming out of you, if you're not speaking in line with his word, which seems to be a challenge, obviously not for us, just all those other churches in the world, but so much so that James has to write it here, that it's the word that changes, not so, okay? So he puts that as, as a cap. And now when you get into chapter 2, um, when you get into chapter 2, you have this message that's transforming the life of an individual, okay? Now, from chapter 2 through chapter 5, you begin to see how those individuals in which the message is transforming them interact together, how they're living together. So really, chapters 2 through 5 is this whole, it's the whole body of Christ that are walking with him and living with him. And one of the things we're finding, and you guys, this is so consistent, and uh, <clears throat> this is just my opinion but in my opinion, my opinions are correct, that as I travel, I do, we travel. I mean, and Stephen can say this because he traveled for much longer than I have, but, you know, after a couple of decades of traveling, you begin to pick up on consistencies. And it used to be more prevalent in the east, you know, the northeast and the northwest and probably the east and west in general, but now we're even finding it even in the Midwest. There's this massive, massive cultural change due to the next generation that's filling kind of the, you know, the church and, and the leadership in the church. Christianity has become so me-oriented. In fact, I was talking to Lori and a couple of people before the service about this, just in, it came up, that Christianity is so me-oriented. It's not us-oriented. You know what I'm saying? It's not the body-oriented. 
It's about me and my relationship with Jesus. And the body is almost incidental. For instance, you meet, I meet people all the time who I go to this church on Sunday, but sometimes I go to that church on Sunday. And, oh, we go over here once in a while. And, oh, yep, I go over there once in a while. And, and kind of in a big event person. And we like to kind of go around. There's no attachment, dedication, or assuming responsibility for a body. I mean, that's just, that's just not there anymore. And the, and the consequences of that have been devastating, and it's been difficult and I don't know why they haven't seen this necessarily, and maybe they have, and, but it hasn't been difficult for me to see the, the, the ramifications, the result of that kind of thing, okay? And it's, it's a very biblical idea that, that it's not just about you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and as yourself. You cannot be a Christian, period, with just you and him. Without me, you are commanded to love me. Period. You cannot, it's not just a me and Jesus kind of a thing. It is a me and Jesus living together in the body, partnering together, uh, taking responsibility, setting down, learning to live with one another kind of an idea. And what's so significant about James is he talks about the message and how that message transforms you individually, but then the rest of the book is how those individuals are working, living, ministering, flushing this thing out together. Okay? Now, the first thing that he brings up, <coughs> excuse me, the first thing that he brings up in, uh, in this whole uh, section on, on, on the community of believers, the body of believers, is uh, chapter 2, verses 1 down through verse 13. And it's dealing with this issue of what we're calling partiality. Okay? Now we're going to look just at verse 1 this morning, which is focused on, we're calling this the community of believers. But I want to give you the rest of the outline for those of you who maybe jot notes in your Bible or, or you know, uh, have an outline or want to study this or just for common knowledge, trivia. Um, verse 1, we're calling the community of believers. Verses 2 through 4 is the consequence of not being a community of believers. Um, verses 5 through 7, he talks about those in, the, those in the body are chosen. Okay, That receiving Jesus, being who he wants you to be, you become a chosen people. Verses 8, to, 8 through 13 is the last little section of the, of the first opening address to the body. And we're calling that the convicted, okay? That there's a, in terms of not embracing his call to be a body of believers, you, you end up being convicted. Uh, and that if you receive it, this part two of that, verses 18, 8 through 13, we divided it up. It's, it's called the covenant. That uh, literally what takes place when you come to church, you're, you're entering into covenant with God and with his people. And this is just what he's lying out for us. So this morning I want to look with you at verse, verse 1, uh, which is this first section, kind of exciting, talking about the message, entering into this is how that message transforming individuals, you and I together, function as a body. And he says in verse 1, beginning, <clears throat> My brethren, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Uh, that's how the NIV translates it. The New King James actually is probably a little bit better of a translation here. ESV, in my opinion, is the best. And in fact, do anybody have the New King James? I was going to just, you do? You care if I read that out of there real quick? Is this the King James or the New King James? New King James. My brethren, do not, listen, hold the faith 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord, or the Lord of glory, with partiality. And the difference of the New King James and the NIV, the NIV says, as believers, which is not really a good translation at all, the New, the New King James and ESV translate it, those who hold the faith. Okay, so, and the word hold is echo, it literally means grab a hold of, okay? The guy that, uh, I think Stevens references uh, recently, the guy that gets healed who latches on, holds on to for dear life, okay? That's, that's this term, it's to hold. It's used most commonly in the New Testament in a spiritual sense for those who hold on to eternal life, okay? And then that's always contrasted with eternal death and damnation, Okay? If you have the option of, of one or the other, you're going to hold on to life. That's this term. So as believers, it, it's, it's, it's who we are as individuals. We hold to the faith. Now, you can do a word study on faith, and we, we, we've, we've talked about faith before, okay, what that means, pistuo, I you know, believe, invoking the activity of the second party. But in James' context, and all that is still true, but in James' context, again, the message of the gospel those, what they're holding on to, those of us who are believers, what we're holding on to is verses 2 through 18. Okay? This, is, this is what we believe. Verses 2 through 4, literally, the individual, what he's holding on to is growth through trials. The kinds of things that we experience. Okay? We're going to overcome. We grow from the circumstances which we find ourselves in. Verses 5 through 8, the message. We operate through his perspective. Just specifically, a believer is one who operates through his eyesight. We are, in being filled with Jesus, his perspective is cast forth, and we get just consumed with that. It's the way we see. It's the way we feel. We get swallowed up in that perspective. That's verses 5 through 8. Verses 9 through 11 is we operate out of his strength. Not our own talent, not our own ability. We operate through his provision. Verse 12, we're used in ministry. And that's been a, becoming a pet peeve of mine. How can someone go to church for 30 years and not win anybody to Jesus? Is that even possible? It's like the drug addict. You're a drug addict. Yes. Well, what drugs do you do? I've never done them. But you're a drug addict. Oh, yeah. We look at that person and say, you're weird. So you're an alcoholic. Yes. What, do you, what, what alcohol do you struggle? Oh, I've never drank. But you're an alcoholic. Yes. You're weird. Seriously, there's something not right with that. I'm a Christian, filled with Jesus, loving with all my heart, and never have been used by him in another individual's life. You're weird. What does weird mean? Something's not right. Because the characteristic of a believer is you are going to be used. Ministry, verse 12, not my idea, not our, not, our, not our little slant, not our emphasis. This is what he says, verse 12. Verses 13 through 15, they overcome temptation. We are overcomers. Okay? The characteristic of a believer, it's marked by those who are overcoming. Good stuff. We overcome and then my favorite is verses 16, 16 through 18. We spent a lot of time on this, and I want to reiterate this to you, is that the culminating idea that, that James really pounds to the church of his day is uh, in verses 16 through 18, is we live by a new standard of good. And I'm just going to summarize verses 16 through 18. We live by a new standard of good that he planned for us. That's that word in verse 18, chose. He planned for you. 
uh, and he, to give us birth is literally engendered. So he planned for you. He engendered you that you might be a first fruits, which means foundation. This is the message. Okay? We overcome in trials. Operating out of his perspective. Operating out of his strength. Living in ministry, used by him, overcoming temptation. Why? Because he planned for me. I'm not here by accident. Okay, he planned for me. He equipped me for that plan that I might be the foundation of a part of his plan in which I am irreplaceable. Isn't that huge? That I am irreplaceable. Each and every one of you, the plan of God that God has for this community cannot be what he dreams it could be without you. This is the message. Which is huge. So, verse, the reason, obviously, we're saying that is because when James says, listen, my brothers, as those who are holding to the faith, this is what they're holding to. I'm clinging to this. This is what we call being saved. This is the message. So, as those who are holding to this, he gives this statement, don't show partiality. And uh, it's interesting that this word has been a kind of a conundrum, and I want to walk you through it. Um, it's a word, <laughs> I thought, you find this in Christianity so often, that there are words, and in, we, I first ran into this in Greek class and thought it was hysterical, that there are words that are used in the New Testament that do not appear anywhere in the secular Greek of their day. They just, they don't appear anywhere. That's a biblical proven fact. There are words that are used in our Bible that in secular writings, uh, Josephus, Philo, you know, those are the only two I know. Uh, but in the other secular writings that day, they, the, the words are not found. And so scholars say, well, how is that? Paul made them up. You say, well, why would he have to do that? Because the worldview, you get this, the worldview of Jesus and the worldview of the world are so catastrophically different that language has to be invented in order to express his perspective. And we live in a world where we use their language, which is, by the way, it should be a sign to you, Christians talk different than other Christians. We don't use vulgar language. We don't use profanity, profane things. We don't talk like they talk. In fact, some of the language we use, we just go ahead and redefine. Like, in this, uh, scholars tell us that back in this day and age, uh, the term agape outside of Scripture doesn't mean anything like it means when it's used in Scripture. Which means the early church took this word agape, brought it into the church and said, which is, you know, love, and they defined it in a certain way. You guys, we do that. See, when we're sitting and, 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 and discussing what it means to love our children, what, how we define love is not how oftentimes those people out there define love. I mean, they say, hey, I love my kids. Well, I wouldn't define that as love. My dad used to say, well, I put a roof over their head. You know, I love him. Well, if that's love, <laughs> hate me. Because I don't want that love. And so we come into the church, and oftentimes a lot of, and as a side note, a lot of, and this is what's so wonderful about the small groups, we come with these definitions and understandings and perspectives, and Stephen calls it, uses the term framework on how we operate, and there's a total, you have to be broken down. Paul says you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to be reprogrammed in how you think. 
Because it's not just not that we're unredeemed and we're, you know, as, as non-believers, brand new. It's not that we're, you know, we're broken to the nth degree in terms of how we think and talk. It's not just activities. It's, it's how we process, okay? Now, I say all that to say that this term partiality is really interesting because it does not exist in secular Greek. It's one of those terms that's used in the New Testament. It's used four times. It's used in Romans 2.11, uh, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25, and then here in James 2, 1, and every single time, and it comes from the Deuteronomy passage where God says, I do not show favoritism. I am impartial. You're like, yeah, but I'm good looking. That's my daughter. She wants to get out of karate. They punch me, and I'm pretty. <laughs> I know, seriously, it's how she talks, okay? And they're impartial. You're pretty or not, I'm punching you. That's how the whole karate gig works, okay? Impartial. God says, listen, I'm impartial, man. I'm impartial. I show no partiality. That's been echoed in the New Testament. So it is a framework of God that comes to the people and says, listen, if you're gonna, in the Old Covenant, if you're going to walk with me, if you're going to live with me, if you're going to be my people, you need to understand this is our perspective. We show no partiality. Now, this is crazy because, again, that word does not exist in secular Greek because from a perspective of the world, that's what they do. They are partial. That, that's how they are. And you say, okay, well, what does the word partiality mean? The original language where it's a compound Greek word made up of two words, it's the word outward and face. You might say outward countenance. It has to do with this stuff. Okay? And the world operates from that. See, you are more likely, and we, we know this, okay? As much as we say for equality and all of the politically correct language in our day, which is over the top. I mean, we're dealing with this in homeschool. So the terminology you use is constantly changing. Our world operates on partiality, you are more likely to get hired at a job if you're beautiful versus if you, you know, scare paint off a house, okay? Just, that's the fact of how things is. That's how they operate. I mean, you're more likely to get the starting spot as the quarterback if you're good. Duh. I mean, you're picking teams. You want him? He hurts me when he plays. I don't want him on my team. I want him. Charismatic. How many times have we heard this in youth ministry? We want a youth pastor who's charismatic. See, it's outward kind of stuff. It's outward emphasis. It's talent. It's abilities. That's partial. Literally, what God says and what James says is the first thing that he tackles is you and I are not to operate from an outward giving judgment on an individual based on the outward. Okay, which again, beauty, power, those kind of things. Now, here's what, I found, here's what I found difficult in all this. This presents problems, okay? Because immediately I take this in and say, okay, we're not to judge like that. But how does that work in this example? Let me give you an example. You have a young guy like myself who was kicked out of the Marine Corps in 1995, broken individual. I didn't talk right, act right. I didn't interact with people right. I didn't handle my finances right. I was broken on several levels because I was broken. And all of that was a rippling effect of who I was. Okay, so 
I come and I'm a part of the youth group. And I remember this vividly, so I'm the perfect illustration of this. I come in and I am a mess. When I got out, I was in tremendous drug debt. I just, you know, I did the drug thing. And it took over my life. And I was in debt past my eyeballs, okay? And barely able to survive. Um, because of my brokenness and self-centeredness, okay, I had lived for myself to such an extent that I used, borrowed, didn't handle correctly, had never been trained in how to handle finances. Well, I get saved. And yes, I'm a new creation, okay? In other words, and what I mean by saved is not like I started going to church, okay? I, I begin to embrace his perspective of me, his plan for my life that he's equipped me for that plan, and that I'm the foundation of something he wants to do in my world. That's what it means to be a Christian, okay? I'm going to overcome, verses 2 through 18. And so I come, and I'm a brand new, but we, they plugged me into the youth group, and we had a, the finances in order to maintain. And my pastor was leery about putting the finances in my hands based on how I handled finances. Now, was he showing partiality with me? Is that showing partiality? Is that judging me by my outside activities, by the past? See, how do, how do you, and see, sometimes we'll say, and we get this in the church, don't judge me. Well, you got a guy that gets out of prison. Because of his brokenness, he's done this, that, and the other. Sometimes with, you know, uh, under a certain age, he gets labeled with a certain label. When he comes in the church, he gets saved. He's redeemed. Do we put him in the nursery? See, how do you do that? See, how does this work? See, it's one thing to say, amen, praise the Lord, I believe that. But how does that flush out in the body? And this is so interesting because James is tackling these issues for the church of his day. He's tackling these. You have to make the distinction that even though you see an individual, and let me give you an example of this. I want you to turn over just really quickly, flip with me, uh, back just a couple books to the book of Titus. And we'll look at first in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, just a quick illustration that even though you choose to see an individual the way that God sees them, it does not mean that that's fully articulated in their life. And you, you help them. You set boundaries for them. It's the same thing with your child. Okay? It's great to look at a four-year-old and say, hey, Dad, can I go out and play in the front yard? Well, I'm going to see you in terms of who, how Jesus sees you that he, he sees you as a child that's always going to listen to our, his parents 100% all the time. Amen? So yes, you can go play in the front yard. I don't want you to get close to the freeway where there's semi-trucks going 70 miles an hour down the road. But I want to go close to the road. Just don't get in the road. I won't. Okay. Have fun. Would we do that? No. Well, maybe you would, but I would not do that. Okay? I would not do that. Because I, I choose to see that individual the way Jesus does, but I walk and I buffer those kinds of choices. That's not partiality. Okay? That's not partiality. And by the way, that's biblical. Because in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, uh, Paul says, listen, I want you to establish elders in every town. And he gives you the perspective, this is what an elder looks like. If you are an elder, this is the fruit that's going to be displayed in your life. This is what God's going to be doing. If Jesus lives in you and you are an elder, there are characteristics that are going to be flowing out of you. Okay? If those characteristics are not floating out of you, you may be called to be an elder, but if those are not flowing out of you, you may not be ready to step into that position and function as an elder yet. 
So it's not that we're judging them because of their outward circumstances. In fact, partiality means I look past all of your outside kind of brokenness and see who God has called you to be. It doesn't mean that we stick you in the nursery or we put you in charge of the food. I was joking about Perry, by the way. Chili was fantastic. Okay? It's not that we just, you know, there's no boundaries. It's, it's kind of a difficult concept to, to grasp, but do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's not that you're being judged. It's that you need training. You need to be walked along. Paul says, listen, you go from milk to meat, solid food, that we're going to walk you, we're going to grow you, we're going to hold your hand, we're going to help you, and you're going to become, we're in this trans, transitional kind of, um, in this work of completion that God has called you to be. So the idea of partiality that James is talking about, that when someone comes through my door, I do not judge them by their outward circumstance. One of the things that I cannot stand is people who get consumed with my beauty. I'm not an object. My beard. People stare there. I'm like, hey, eyes up here. I'm a person. I have feelings. Okay? <laughs> That's the best illustration I could come up with, but, but the point is, is I'm, hey, I'm not going to judge you by the outward. Now, do you have brokenness? Do you have areas in your life where you've not listened to Jesus and you've operated in self-centeredness and there's all that kind of stuff in your life? Absolutely. But there's a wonderful thing about the body of Christ. This is a safe place where you can come and we say, listen, God has a dream for you. He planned for you. He's equipped you. That you might be the foundation of a whole new thing. Would you be willing to embrace his plan for your life? Would you walk with him in intimacy? And we, in fact, you get around this group, we'll never let you forget that. We're going to shove you to Jesus. We're impartial. Everyone. Everyone is qualified. Everyone belongs. Okay? We do not show partiality. Okay? If you're beautiful, fine. If you're not beautiful, fine, okay? If you're talented at this or talented, it's not that those things don't exist. We are an impartial people. And uh, we've got some other illustrations on that, but for time, I think I'll forgo them. I think you understand. So the community of believers, and we wanted to isolate this uh, in verse 1, if you want to go back to James. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he brings up partiality, and then he talks about the consequence, which the next time I'm here, we'll look at verses 2 through 4, the consequence of not of not being impartial. The consequence of making decisions on the outward. Okay? Not seeing as God sees. Because God does not see on the outward. It's amazing. When I was first saved, my first pastor told me this, Danny Goddard. That God, when he looks at me, and you see this in the life of Peter, you see this in the life of, of, of Saul, who is transformed to Paul, I mean, he goes to, was it Cornelius, I think, and said, listen, there's this guy coming to you named Paul, or Saul. And he's like, no. God says, oh, you wouldn't believe what I have planned for that guy. That literally, God looked, and this is what's so beautiful about the body, that when you come in, we don't see you as the world sees you. We look at you and go, oh, do you know how significant you are? I mean, seriously, how phenomenal that is. I choose to see you that way, okay? So the body of believers is, the, is that group, okay? The body of the believers is that group that you find yourself in where it's not a, the outward, yeah, the outward is what it is, what it is. But we look in terms of God's plan for your life, okay? And we're gonna, 
as God leads you to discover that, we're walking along beside of you. We're, we're guarding you. We're, you're, the, you're the two-year-old that's learning to walk, that we're, we're kind of holding your arms. And we're, man, we're, we're, we're for you on this. There's no one that's going to champion you like your body. Okay? That's, that's what he's saying. We're impartial to you. And uh, by the way, when uh, we get on down through the book, so verses 2 through 4, we'll look at the consequence of not being that way. But verse 1 focuses on, as the body of believers, the tone of our group is you are welcome here. Anyone is welcome here. I don't care what you've done. Murderer, I won't go down the list, okay? Liar, okay, whatever. You're, You're welcome here. We're going to buffer, we're going to guard, we're going to help you, okay? We're going to walk with you, but we're going to force you. If you're going to be around our group, it's not going to be a participating thing where you come in, you slip in on Sunday, you're kind of watching, you know, it's kind of neat, well, good service, and you walk out. But if you're going to come be a bar of our group, we're going to be, we're going to be obsessive. <laughs> we're going to be intrusive. I love that term. Don't you love that term? I'm going to be intrusive with you. Why? Because I love you. I care about you going to wrap my arms around you i'm going to it's going to be like the patrick's i'm going to show up at random times and just walk in your house and say hey guys did you invite him no hey i'm going to be intrusive okay and by the way when you're looking at uh sean wherever he's at you can come on up buddy what what's interesting is that and we're dealing with this what we're dealing with on on um on uh thursday at olivet do you realize that when you stand before him whom you must give account He's not going to look at you in the outward. That's why we have passages like, on the day of judgment, everything will be laid bare. You're going to have a bunch of people that say, Lord, Lord, I went to church, I preached, I healed, I probably... He's going to say, yeah, and just push all that aside. And he's going to crack you open. And everything that's come out of you, that's what, you're, that's what he's looking at. That, that's what he cares about. That's... We've all got a past. We've all got a past. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. Seriously. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. But we've all been somewhere. What our group is concerned about, and we're going to, but what our group is concerned about is the future and your future in Him and what you're going to look like when you give yourself to Him and the plan that He has for your life. So smile. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Jesus, that's the kind of body that we want to be. And it's a biblical body. It's James is writing to the global church of his day. And yeah, he's talking about those of us who have embraced you and that are already being transformed in the person you've called us to be. How we interact together as a group, loving one another, speaks volumes to a world. And the first thing that you tackle... The first thing that you cover is that as those of us who've embraced you are walking in you and, and, and figuring this out together, we are impartial to our world. We don't discriminate against color. We don't discriminate against the poor with the wealthy, which can be a danger. We can focus too much on the wealthy and then we can focus too much on the poor. We're impartial to our world. Those whom who intersect our life every day we choose to see through your eyes and hold them to that standard. When I look at my daughter, I will not accept anything less coming out of her than who you've called her to be. 
And we find ourselves disciplining our children, coming to them and holding their hands and saying, listen, you're not behaving like the little girl I know you were created to be. You're not talking to your sister in the way that I know you were created to talk to her. You're not being the husband that God has created you to be. You're not being the father that God has created. This is our language. This is how we operate. We need you to to speak to us, Lord. Because it's so easy to just... It's so easy to level at the... um, Yeah, Jesus stuff. We know the lingo. We come to church. We know when to stand up. We know when to sit down. We know all the right things to say. I wonder if there's any of us this morning. I guess I wonder if there's anyone else besides me who gets introspective, who looks at, looks at our life and says, hey, where am I settling for less? Where have I been partial? Where have I played favorites? Where have I not participated in community? Where have I not plugged in? Where have I been a spectator? I want you to, want you to have freedom to speak to us this morning, Lord. And our group is really, we're really serious about responding to you. We, we're not asking you to help us, you know, kind of change how we're doing or thinking or talking. We want you to transform us this morning. I want you to come in and plant this, root this in my life. I do not want to be partial. I want to see, as you see, the value in all your children and be used by you that they may be all you've dreamed them to be. And I've got a role in that. I've got a significant part in that. Would you speak to us this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just... course it's really hard to look out and and, and make judgments on people because I'm not a prophet I don't have that kind of insight I've been in services where people can look out and I don't have that but I I know from experience because I lived there it's easy for teenagers to live like that and you don't you don't have to live like that it's easy for us adults to live like that culturally skin color there's all kinds of barriers personality types Maybe you need to seek with us this morning. Maybe people in the, in the body of believers themselves, in the church. Is he speaking to you? We're just going to have a time of seeking and praying. And um, if you'd like to seek and respond, altars are open.